Hello, and thank you for checking out Why Theory, a podcast that brings philosophy and psychoanalytic theory together to explain cultural phenomena. In our first episode, we will briefly define theory and explain some of the overarching goals and aims of this podcast before an in-depth theoretical exploration of our first topic, comedy. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the podcast. You got record? Yep. We got levels? Yep. All right, very good. Okay. All right. Hello. Uh, my name is Ryan Engley, one of your hosts for Why Theory. The other host is Todd McGowan. Say hi, Todd. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> I said say hi, Todd. Come on. All right. Anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, this is going to be a uh, hopefully monthly podcast uh, where we talk about theory. Um, now, before we get into uh, why theory and answer that question, uh, it's probably important to answer what is theory. When we say theory, we are referring to a specific strand of intellectual thought that begins uh, in earnest, probably with Kant in the uh, in beginning of the period that is largely referred to as the German idealism. And so, theory for us moves from Kant to Hegel, Marx. Freud, who people variously describe as inheriting either the Kantian tradition or the Hegelian tradition. It depends on who you read. But either way, from him, we move forward uh, to closer to the contemporary time with the work of Jacques Lacan. So if you had to look at this, what we have is a body of thought that has uh, Kant on one end and moves all the way to things as far away from Kant as uh, queer theory. Uh, today, but someone like uh, Lee Edelman might, might be a good uh, exemplar of this. So this uh, wide historical, uh, wide ranging historical body of thought uh, is broader, I think would be the, the word it, it applies uh, universally. And, and so th- there's a universality to it that I think we will insist on in these, uh, in these podcasts. And I think, uh, Todd, this is actually something that your uh, comedy book uh, does a good job of insisting on as well. Uh, and just a word on universality, what we mean is like, like, uh, this, this thought like allows us to see universal, uh, features that do not designate universal outcomes. So when Todd talks about his uh, his book in, in a minute, <laughs> we'll, uh, this will uh, show us a little bit uh, of what we mean when we say uh, universality as well. Again, looking at imminent features that uh, do not designate specific outcomes. So anyway, that's what we mean when we say uh, what theory is. So uh, Todd, I'm going to kick it to you. Uh, why theory? Why are we doing this? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ryan. I think that uh, our idea is that our daily lives are so full of theoretical experiences, but we're constantly failing to recognize them as theoretical. You and I, I think, plead guilty to this as well. (laughs) So we think in order to watch a film, view a sporting event, or even engage in a a typical conversation, we have to perform a series of theoretical operations. But our everyday life functions by keeping theory repressed. This repression extends even I think into the academy where today STEM disciplines are totally displacing the humanities. And even within the humanities, historicism and empirical research is displacing theory, at least theory in the sense that that Ryan just described it in the way in which we understand it. And we view this podcast as an attempt to, to resist this and resist the marginalization of theory and again, we're not trying to say that we're going to merge all theories into one or, or, or come up with one single all-encompassing theory. But our, our idea is that we can, in this kind of amalgam that Ryan mentioned, that we can uh, articulate a theory that hopefully people will find helpful for understanding uh, the world that they're, they're dealing with and the events that they're uh, watching and, and taking part in. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, that's, and that is uh, our mission statement. And so uh, the first context in which we're going to uh, apply the insights of theory is going to be comedy. Uh, this is not by any means an accident. Uh, Todd, you've recently written a book or you've just, uh, well, you wrote a book a while ago. That book has just been published called Only a Joke Can Save Us, A Theory of Comedy. Now, in that work, theory of comedy emerges in your writing where you see uh, the comedic as uh, something that arises through the convergence of uh, lack and excess. Uh, so take me through uh, 
like the dominant theories of comedy and then what does your uh, theory of comedy do? Sure, sure. That, thanks, Ryan. Um, so basically in uh, sort of history of philosophy, there have been three dominant theories. So the first one, which usually gets ascribed to Plato, is, is and Plato's being critical of it, is, the, is what's known as the superiority theory, which views comedy as this mode of domination, like it's a, it's a form of, uh, of bullying, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. Um, so you, in other words, you're, you, you make fun of the comic object by saying, oh, look, you're fat, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, right, right, fat guy falls down, that kind of thing. Right, fat guy falls down, <laughs> you know, the, 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 you, you kick the short person in the, in the, in the gut or something, <laughs> whatever. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny, right? Or, but it's not. I mean, this, this is why Plato thought comedy was, was nefarious, because mm. it, was, it made people feel better, and it, it played this you know, important role in, in domination. And so then the second theory is this incongruity. Oh, I want to slow, slow down. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I want to slow yeah. down. We, no, no, no. Uh, so this, would you say, so that um, you're, generally speaking, you're... Um, like your 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 racist, homophobic, sexist, uh, transfer like these jokes fall into the superiority theory that uh, is, and this is the reason why Plato rejects it as like this kind of, um, I don't know, like a it, it's a it's a divisive form uh, of of comedy or yeah or, for yeah. sure for yeah. sure that 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 um that all of those I mean that all of like the racist, sexist, homophobic joke they they play into this. Uh, they play into this, uh, they, they sort of fit the superiority theory. So it's as if Plato never heard a subversive joke and only, <laughs> only heard, you know, his, his fellow Greeks making like racist and, or jokes about barbarians or something or, like that. So, or jokes yeah. about slaves, probably. Slaves, yeah. yeah. Women, maybe. I mean, you know, because the Republic is a pretty, it's a pretty ideal, you know, the women have an equal spot. There's no slavery. So, you know, mm-hmm. so... Uh, so maybe he was he saw that as the danger and con- that's how he, he that was the thing he was really responding to. So. That's interesting. All right, okay. I'm yeah. sorry I interrupted. Uh, no, the, no, uh, no, no, no. It's good. Uh, so so then the second sort of historical theory mm-hmm. is the incongruity theory, which is sometimes associated with Kant, even though Kant doesn't you know, fully develop it. And that's the sort of the thing about all these theories; they don't really get fully developed until much later. It's till the 20th century that they become real. Uh, serious theories of comedy, but the incongruity theory states that when we 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 have a comic experience when our expectations are are not met, so mm-hmm. we have we're expecting something to happen, something thwarts those expectations. That's comic, mm-hmm. and you know, so that's that. And there's something to be said for that. I think there's a lot of, you know, I, one can at least say that every comic instance this applies to. Mm-hmm. The problem is maybe it you know, applies to other instances that aren't comic. And this is sort of the problem with all of these. Yeah. The, the, that famous example from, uh, the, uh, philosopher of, of, of humor, uh, John Morial, which is, it's un- incongruous to come home and find your family murdered, but it's certainly not funny. Not funny. Uh, not no, funny. No. Yeah. I mean, even if you, if you, I mean, really, you can't even imagine an instance when it's funny because if you wanted it to happen, yeah. It wouldn't be. It would be satisfying. It, would but be, it wouldn't be funny, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It would so also it would not be. It would not be incongruous. But it would be incongruous, right? right yeah, and and I think too right. that that's a. Um, I'm thinking a lot about um, like contemporary American comedies, like your um, your Parks and Recreations, your your offices, uh, Thirty Rock, things like that. Like um, when you watch a series like this, which I think all of them are great, but there there comes a time where in in dialogue. Uh, between characters, uh, one of one of like um, I think probably Modern Family does this more than any other TV series is that you have two characters like it's a classic thing you have two characters talking to each other and the dialogue makes perfect sense but each character thinks they're talking about something else so right. the conversation goes on like one person thinks that uh, one person is hitting on the other person another person thinks that they're planning a birthday party for somebody else and like you. As a viewer, you expect these kinds of things at a certain point where so it becomes like, oh, it's like what? Like Three's Company? It's like that's just another misunderstanding. Right. And, so so yeah. that's a great point about the way in which the incongruity becomes congruous, mm-hmm. right? Like it at least for the spectator. Yeah. And of course for the actors too, but I mean not right. for the characters, I guess. But um yeah, I think that that's a real 
And the question is, do you still laugh? And I think you probably do. So that's a, mm-hmm. that's that's sort of interesting. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so the third theory is the relief theory, and this gets associated with, I think, wrongly with Freud mm-hmm. uh, in the book uh, developed in the book Jokes and Their Relation to the Unconscious, in which the idea is this is the idea of the relief theory, not Freud's idea. Mm-hmm. The idea is that uh, we we seek in comedy to give uh, expression to the, our repressed our repressed desires. So we're, mm-hmm. you know, we go to, and I think that's, there's certainly truth to that, that we go to a, you know, a comedy club to, to be able to laugh at things that aren't, you can't say in polite society. Sure. Or, sure. You know, you know, in, se- in a sense, like, you know, comedy is like, you know, porn, like you can, mm. you can do these things that you, you know, you, you wouldn't do them yourself, but you'll watch other people do them. You wouldn't say them yourself, but you would, you would watch other people say them. So I think that's what Freud mm. is. Is getting at, and it's interesting because uh, Freud sees sees comedy, and I, the mention of porn wasn't accidental because mm-hmm. Freud sees comedy as modeled on what he calls smut. So, so, huh. so there's a way in which there's a kind of nice that that a joke is for Freud just a, a kind of refined version of smut. Oh, smut. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, really interesting. Yeah, well, yeah. because so that's his actual joke theory uh, that is the actual it, joke it's, theory, it's right? a sh- it's a short cir- it's a short circuit this like a uh, quick connection between two disparate uh right. ideas and he usually through a pun right that's his right through the, like the i think that that's the paradigm for comedy for freud is the pun like he uses this uh that heine joke a million yeah times. the heiner kind joke about yeah. a, a, a a millionaire who treats me too familiarly and he gets the he the the character slips and says he's a familiar. So he's a familiar, right? Right. Yeah. right. So it actually works in German and English, kind of uh, that's, both. It's so. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, which is rare. I mean, yeah. There's a well. Most I, puns don't translate well. <laughs> not not from yeah, not from German to English, I guess. The um, the uh, for whatever reason, and speaking about smut, there um, there's this great. Uh, I mean, it's not really a pun, but it is absolutely a short circuit. There's a character in the TV series Arrested Development who is a therapist, and he quits being a therapist eventually to try to be an actor. This is a character played by David Cross, and he's a terrible actor. Um, there's also this suggestion that he is himself repressing actively his own homosexuality, and on one of his business cards, he became the first um, analyst and therapist and on his cards it said analrapist which <laughs> is of course anal rapist so that's right, what right, you know right, right, right. so that was that that's like that's a little, good yeah, yeah that's a smutty i a smutty I, joke. I i mentioned a couple of puns in the book about you know from james bond and i i you know like uh, one do you know this one where i think i forget i think it's world is not enough no it's i think it may be tomorrow never dies i don't oh, know no, i don't but I don't um know. money penny calls Bond to sort of tell him time to come in for the mission, and he's mm-hmm. having sex with someone as he often is, and yeah. and uh, and he says, "Oh, I'm in a I'm in a linguistic session," and, and she goes, "I'm I'm learning a new tongue," and he's he's you know right. kissing this woman, and then and then Money Penny says back, "You always were a cunning linguist, James." Um, it's, so it's great because yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. you know in a PG thirteen. Well, I don't know. It's an interesting question in a PG thirteen movie where you whether you could say cunnilingus or not mm-hmm. but um i assume you couldn't um well that's isn't that the, that's the whole thing with like i mean this is a side topic but like that's the whole thing with um uh with like pg-13 rating is that like you know the you can heavily suggest something but then right. become outright right which makes those films you know linguistically more interesting than r-rated films right oh certainly Certainly. And I think maybe funnier, you know, yeah. like that's like that, that bond line, they wouldn't have had to invent it if he could just say, oh, I'm engaging in kind of lingus. Right. Well, yeah, it's like, that wouldn't be very funny. Like a production era Hollywood films, right? Like right. You right, have that great right. dialogue, you know, and like, I like the big sleep or whatever, you know, like, right. Uh, it's, it's right. Like the big, right. That's a great example of the, the dialogue in the big sleep, which is very funny and sexually suggestive about mm-hmm. horse racing. Yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But but it wouldn't, you know, you just, you couldn't even imagine such a dialogue today because they wouldn't, they would just say, do you want to fuck? <laughs> they would absolutely you know, just go, go right to <laughs> You look to like it. you're pretty hot. I would like to fuck you. Like, you know. So hey, we're the, we're the two attractive leads. Let's, uh, we should get together. Yeah, the people yeah, want yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I think there's an argument to be made for the production code. But, yeah, you know, I think so. That's a, maybe another topic. Another topic. Yeah. Defending later, the production later code. Later show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, so then those are the three, uh, major, um, 
Right. Or and dominant. then in 20th century, yeah. 21st century, you have Freud, you have Bergson, uh, Henri Bergson, who, who wrote a book called Laughter, in which he argues that comedy is the point at which the human becomes mechanical or machine-like. Okay. And, you know, his exa- I think his, his sort of example that it comes after he wrote the book, so he obviously wasn't thinking about this, but would mm-hmm. be Charlie Chaplin at the beginning of modern times when he like gets stuck in the machine. Right. It's kind of a funny... Right, and so that would be like the perfect. Interestingly, um, does he not? Uh, I, I thought I thought in that um, in that book he he talks about like a, the absent-minded uh, professor who's walking along the street and not thinking, and then they like walk into a lamppost. Yeah, correct. And that's and that is um, because his he was a vitalist, and so this is life bursting forth from right. a from situa- the machine. Yeah, right. from the machine. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, right. So. So that's his that's his theory, and then and then it, it's about a hundred years later that what I think is maybe the best theory um, mm-hmm. up till now is is articulated by Alenka Zupancic in the Odd One In, mm. not the Odd One In, uh, and uh, her idea is that that um, the comedy the comic is occurs when the universal becomes uh, has to become concrete, like okay. so so the yeah. the sort of canonical example would be the king sort of falling on a banana peel like uh. all of a sudden the king this figure of you know representing universality gets we see the way in which uh he's actually you know the and he he it's not that he also is a body and this is a i think the key point of hers is mm-hmm. but that the universal itself can fall on a banana peel so uh, that's i the, see Okay. That's that. So it's a kind of it's a nice it's a really nice and appealing theory I think. Mm-hmm. And and again it it the, that term you mentioned earlier the short circuit that's yeah. that's her idea too right that mm-hmm. that the the comedy sort of short circuits this these two things like universal and its concrete um, manifestation. But I guess my only thing and this kind of will get to be what I yeah develop is in the in the in the book is that um, you know I think that's a little narrow and and. You know that 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 it's actually any form of any time any form of excess gets meets some kind of lack, and then mm-hmm. we we get exposed to that. So if something triggers us to see that. I see. Then then that's comedy mm-hmm. because it's not necessarily like, and I think it's you know like you can think of a lot of points in which lack and excess come together. It's not funny at all. Like mm-hmm. like addiction, right? Like mm-hmm. addiction is excessive. Mm-hmm. Well, it's addiction is. It's interesting because it's a kind of triple relation. Like first, there's your lacking subject. How do you respond to the lack? You fill it in with too much of something, right? Or too much alcohol. Let's that say. I mean, fills it doesn't fill yeah. at all. Yeah. So you're trying yeah. to fill, but then it it doesn't fill it at all. What does yeah. it do? It creates even more lack. More like you're yeah. like no one who has become an alcoholic becomes more. Uh, satisfied as a result of their alcoholism. <laughs> right. I don't certainly. think. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, my grandfather maybe was the closest, and he he, he sort of most of the time he was miserable, but he had to, you know tell he was a, he <laughs> well, was about, a great lover of uh, you know he probably drank like a case of beer a day and then oh, yeah, just like an ungodly amount. So I, you know what I'm thinking of right now, like I I and I know I don't not don't mean this to to challenge your example, but I think someone like W. C. Fields appears to be actually gaining something through being an alcoholic, but yeah, it, yeah, yeah. but I actually think that's only because of prohibition. It's only because it's prohibited. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't, I, I, I think that, yeah, I'm thinking of the bank dick where he actually, yeah. his alcoholism allows him to get the job that he yeah. otherwise would get. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, but yeah. that, that's what makes it funny. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think fields is that funny. Right. Um, yeah. Partly because it's interesting. I mean, like a lot of comedy, and this is, I, I think, this is a key part of it. It dates pretty badly. It's, I think, mm-hmm. it's very, very hard to. Yeah. I think it's, you know, this this idea that that um, you know, you hear people say, if you say a joke, this often happens to me. You say a joke, and people say too soon. Yeah. Which is itself a kind of a joke, actually. Mm-hmm. I think. Yes, that's true. Um, but people say too soon, and I, my my feeling is, it's much greater sin to be too late. Mm-hmm. You know, like to. Like, like you can't really tell a joke about Caesar, right? Because yeah. it just, no one cares. Yeah, right? or, no I, cares. I mean, I'll leave, or McKinley being assassinated. Right, who, or who, I, who I dare say even Lincoln being assassinated. It's not really that funny, right? Yeah. Like, like, I think it's, you almost could, I, I don't, maybe this is wrong, but I think you almost could tell 
a, it would be better to tell the joke about Lincoln's assassination on, you know, Saturday morning after the assassination than right. today. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. I mean, it would obviously that would be too soon and that would be inappropriate and, and et cetera. But I do think now it's just way too late. That joke is just not going to be. It's not, you know, you often yeah. hear these jokes about Mrs. Link, you know, how did you enjoy, <laughs> other yeah. than that, how'd you enjoy, enjoy the play, the- Mrs. Link? It's just not that funny. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit akin to like what's black and white and red all over, right? Like sure. You know, there, it's not that great. There's a, um, actually, there's a Lincoln joke in, do you know the British series, The Blackadder, the great Rowan Atkinson no. series? Mm. There's, um... He's there that this a lot of the humor in that show comes from uh, and I think actually this might be a a good example of lack and excess like and and uh, a an excessive number of uh, similes actually is where the like a lot of the the humor comes from and anyway so uh, the one character has an idea it's like kind of like a series long thing where um, one character has a cunning plan to get them out of anything but it's okay. uh, it's always always wrong it's always terrible and so blackadder says that it's the worst idea since abraham lincoln said you know tired of uh, kicking around the house tonight let's go see in a show <laughs> and like but i think that it's funny like i actually think that you remove that you do that in 1980s in england and i think that's it's like it's a it's a much funnier joke because it's it's yeah. it's referencing another culture and another culture's right, history, right, and that's not right. so proximate for right. for the no, English. It's interesting how yeah I think you, it's true. You like move the joke around the teller, the side of the teller, and you can make it funny or not funny. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. It's absolutely mm. true. Well, so anyway, so yeah, so I think you have to have this, you know. So I think alcoholism just. Even though we that in some there's a real way in which lack and excess come together, I think mm. you, you, the problem is it's not evident that they're together. Like the, mm. like the whole point of addiction is in some sense to try to keep them apart. Mm. You know, so mm. I think that's the that's the you know I mean obviously addiction isn't a conscious decision, so Certainly. you can't really sure. speak of an error in addiction. But I, I in some way I think addiction or uh, you know, it's the kind of opposite of comedy. Mm. It's the opposite of comedy because it the, the the sort of idea is that you can that it's possible to split lack and excess apart. Whereas I think our, the nature of us as subjects is we're 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 both we're that it's it's precisely because we're lacking that we're excessive. You know, so that's the, oh, okay. Well, can you so can you give an example from either from your book or just in general of yeah uh, that, l- yeah yeah I can yeah. yeah yeah I'll just give a joke example so sure. So, so this is nice. I, I like this joke. Um, uh, it's a joke about uh, Jesus and Moses playing golf in heaven. So okay. Jesus and Moses are playing golf in heaven. They're, if you know anything about golf, so they're in a little par three, and they're, and they're about uh, 180 yards away, and, and, uh, and, and Jesus pulls out a club. As he says, I'm going to hit a seven iron, which is the sort of inappropriate. It's a club he, shouldn't, he can't make go that far. Mm-hmm. He can make the ball go far enough, and there's a lake in between them. And he hits, and Moses says to him before he hits the ball, Moses says to him, "You know, you can't hit a seven iron. You need to hit a, a, a club that'll make the ball go further." He's like, "No, no, 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 no. Tiger Woods would hit a seven iron here. I'm going to hit a seven iron." Moses goes, "All right, you do what you want. You're Jesus." And so Jesus hits the ball, and it goes as you would expect. It goes right into the middle of the lake. But he's Jesus. He walks out in the lake. He goes, picks up his ball, brings it back to the tee, and 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 sets it up again, ready to hit his second shot or his. Re-hit, he gets a mulligan since his first shot. Sure. Uh, and Moses goes, look, you can't hit a seven iron. And Jesus, you hit a five iron. It's more your appropriate club. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I can, I can do it. Tiger Woods would do it. I'm going to do it. And so Jesus hits the ball, goes out and goes in the lake again. And he walks out into the lake to pick up the ball. And by this time, the next group of golfers is caught up to them because they're delaying play. Mm-hmm. And they see Jesus walking out on the lake. And they, point, they go to Moses, who does that clown think he is? Jesus Christ? And Moses goes, no, he thinks he's Tiger Woods. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so the idea is that when someone told me, I've known this joke my, my whole life. And so it just, it, so when someone told it to me, I was... The, the the golfer in question was Jack Nicholas, not Tiger Woods. That shows you how old. Oh that wow! Joke. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> now I you, I don't think anyone would know who you know anyone younger than forty would not know who Jack Nicholas. They probably they probably uh, think you mispronounced Jack Nicholson. I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, so so it's great because it's precisely so you get this incredible coming together of so Jesus his lack in his golf game mm-hmm. requires <laughs> him to be this excessive 
did this excessive act and walk on water. So to me, right. that's like the the key example. There's another, another nice uh, Louis C.K. joke. I don't know if you know this one. I'm sure you do because you know him well. Where he says, "My bank is the worst. They're charging <laughs> yeah. me money for not having any not having yeah. any money." Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, right. Yeah. So the idea of the bank fee, which is a normal thing, right? Mm-hmm. You pay a bank fee because you don't have enough money in your account right. or you overdraft or whatever. And, and but it's a nice, it's funny if you think about it as this the way in which what you don't have in like your lack is ends up producing this excessive fee. It's yeah, no, that's, that's funny. I mean, that whole, that whole bit, I mean, it comes from the, like an early career thing from him, like the difference between the rich and the poor, which is that when you're yeah. rich, the bank gives you more money. It's like, you have all this money. That's what interest is. We'll just give you more money. And then, yeah, you know, and then yeah. the, you're poor, you don't have enough money. So we're going to take it from you. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I think that that also nicely, um, figures into your, your, your matrix of, uh, yeah. Or the interrelation of, 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 of lack and excess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, but that's interesting too, because so with that, with the Louis joke, or at least with that context is that that's, that's funny in, that's funny in the context of stand up comedy. It's an everyday reality that is like heartbreaking and it's and heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. it requires the, um, I don't know. It requires like the comedian's touch to, 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 bring the well, or, yeah, is the, I think or is the comedy like already tr- there yeah how would you well here's that? what here's what i would say i think when you're so say i'm i go to the bank and i don't have any money at all and i learned that i've been i've i've overdrafted a check and uh, mm-hmm. uh and and then i i owe another 25 dollars. i'm like oh my god what am i gonna do i mean i think that you don't I think the problem, why that's not funny, I think it's sort of, it's not a, I don't think anything is objectively funny. Also, mm-hmm. I think that it depends on the relation. But I, I think why you don't think that's funny is you can only view yourself as a lacking subject when mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. when you're, you know, when you, when you're, all you see of yourself is I'm an indebted, you don't see the, the, the role, any role that excess is playing there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why that's not funny at all to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very, it's interesting because isn't it, like we often think it's like the worst thing to do to someone is to laugh at them when they're down, you know, sure. like, like, uh, I don't know, teenage boys bullying a, a homeless person sitting sure, on sure. the side of the road. Right. That's a mm-hmm. horrible thing. Like they're laughing at them. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, like, is that attitude worse than someone who feels bad for them and gives them money and, you know, like, okay, I'm obviously for giving people money rather than <laughs> sure. bullying than them. bullying, of course. And yeah. making fun of them. But uh, but really, like, when you think of someone as comic, you're inherently thinking of them as capable of being excessive mm-hmm. and not just this purely pathetic being. I almost wonder if that's what, if the our attitude toward Trump shouldn't be, rather than finding him comic, finding mm-hmm. him just pathetic. Interesting. Like, he, even though he seems like he's doing all these excessive things, now he's really just a pathetic, lacking, purely lacking being. Right? Yeah, I, I really think you're right on that. Like, it's, I don't know. I mean, I just was thinking that the other day that like that, yeah. that like he's not really he doesn't have the dignity of comedy. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. You that there needs to be like there, he does not have the dignity of the homeless person. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, so yeah, I mean, look, again, I'm not for laughing at people that are homeless. My certainly, God, but, certainly. Um, but I just want to like, if you think about it, like to make someone the object of a joke mm-hmm. is already to sort of raise them above the level of pure pathos, right? Yeah. And I think you know that's why we don't laugh at our pets. I mean, yeah. you know, maybe that was wrong because. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's. I think maybe some people do think of their pets as also capable. Of well, <clears throat> I'll say this: people like. I don't. This is not my point. This is, I, and I, I don't know who to attribute this to. Uh, but we like when animals do things that are like being a human, and we do not like when they act like an animal. Yeah, and that's a good point. So I. So maybe that's where that sort of. Um, pathos comes from is that yeah. it's it's this sort of reflective thing but you you're bringing up the dignity reminds me there's a simpsons episode where um david hyde pierce guest stars um uh, and as kelsey Grammer does too kelsey Grammer always does the voice of sideshow bob and um, david hyde pierce who of course they were on frasier forever he is he plays um sideshow bob's uh brother whose name is Cecil, it turned out that Cecil wanted to be a clown for Krusty the Clown a long, long time ago. 
and he wasn't any funny and Krusty the Clown excoriates him for not being funny and he says see the problem is you don't have dignity okay and then he throws a pie at Cecil's brother Bob who was like a lawyer he was in like a suit and then he throws a pie at him and his like he drops his suit and his hair goes crazy and then Kelsey Grammer just says oh oh dear and then they all laugh he said see that's comedy and um, anyway, it's sort of that's, no. That's a great. That's a great example of what I would. I would. Yeah. This no, the the sort of necessity of some kind of like comic dignity to be fun. Like I, I really don't think that you can make fun of a purely pathetic something. Someone you consider to be per, purely pathetic. Mm. That's. I think maybe that's a problem with the superiority theory. You know mm. that 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 you don't. It doesn't really make you like even. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm against racist, sexist, you know, homophobic jokes, totally. But mm. uh, it does it does make you realize that there there is a there there is some kind of even in that kind of joke, mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's some way in which superiority is undermined. Right? Mm. That's interesting. Well I, th- I I wanted to talk about this. So um, okay. the I'll I guess I'll I'll, I'll start with my conclusion. Then we'll work our way to why I have this conclusion, um, okay. which <laughs> uh, which is obviously how anyone should write a paper. Uh, That's right. Always yeah. begin with the coin. Like, always begin always with know the, what you're going to say. Exactly. Yeah. So is that the um, the superiority theory um, that Plato attempts to disavow, I, I, I do think is a haunting specter of many uh, theories of comedy, particularly recent ones. Um, that like uh, unlike Zupancic and like uh, Baju have have tried to proffer, and it's that the idea for for uh, those thinkers is that um, what is the comedy is always lib- uh, liberatory. It's always right. Right. it's always this thing that uh, that that elevates that has this uh, potential for radical change, and yet you have these you have these jokes like again the, going back to plato that plato tries to do something with that that we you like what, what do you do with this so yeah it's interesting you, don't, yeah, yeah go, go ahead go yeah, no 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 i want you no, to i was gonna it. say uh <laughs> I, I think for 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 alenka badu alan badu uh you know the maybe bakhtin i don't know uh, uh, this guy robert fowler who's a who's an incredible theorist of comedy from austria not the golfer uh, uh, not the golfer now. Right. I don't think he golfs. Okay. Uh, uh, that that for them, comedy is always subversive, and if it's not subversive, it's not real comedy. Right. So it's like the, it's like this joke from uh, from Jacques Lacan, which says, uh, "My fiance is never late for a meeting with me; otherwise, she's no longer my fiance." You know, okay. like yeah. you know, So you know, that's the. So that it seems to me like that's the problem with that theory. <laughs> like it, you know, like. If the if it ceases to if it doesn't fit my theory then it doesn't it, it doesn't it, exist it doesn't yeah. exist yeah 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 so yeah, uh, so, yeah Badu famously says you know he distinguishes between comedy as such and what he calls like funny mm-hmm. uh, you know he's talking about drama and his when he develops this theoretically so he calls there so there are funny plays that can be you know like he would say he would I don't know he would never probably watch Hangover or Bridesmaids but he would say those those are funny films but they're not mm-hmm. comedy as mm-hmm. such and so. Um, I think that's the, so I think that you're right that, that there's some, the problem is that there are a lot of jokes and comedies that do, that are, are really funny Mm -hmm. and people find them funny and yet they're not, they, they're not, you wouldn't call them subversive or liberatory at all. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think, you know, it's, I think it's arguable. I mean, it's interesting because the, the contemporary, um, political scene, I think, maybe due to Trump or I don't know, it's, I guess it started with Bush. Like there's this sense of, um, that comedy is, is, is sort of critical of, of, of the conservative right. authority yeah. figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I don't think it's necessary. I mean, I think, again, I think that comedy, most people in, not maybe that's unfair to say most people, but a lot of people engage in a lot of the time is, is, you know, like sharing a joke that makes them feel like they're, included and somebody else's excluded. excluded like i think that that kind of comedy is pretty pretty common so there's a conversation in a um to reference another podcast uh that um the comedian pete holmes has with uh, zach galifianakis and it kind of touches on on this which is that amongst comedians 
that this is what they, as two comedians, they make this point that one should make the racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic joke. That to not do that is the offensive thing amongst comedians. And the story that Zach Alphanekis doesn't tell the story, and I don't, I don't, so I don't actually know what it is, but what he, he, uh, Pete Holmes brings up that when Zach Galifianakis met Chris Rock, he told him a very racist joke. Like that, that's how they, he introduced himself to him because they knew, they both knew Louis C.K. and that's how, that's how they met. And what Pete Holmes said and what Zach Galifianakis said and that he said that he, Chris Rock loved it. He thought it was great. And that the offensive thing would have been if he thought that and didn't do it. That, that's the thing. Now, what I think is interesting there is that amongst comedians like I like I do and you you you'll see this if you watch enough stuff on on like comedians talking about comedy like like Jerry Seinfeld's uh comedians in cars getting coffee like whenever he talks to comedians it's like he's describing a community of people that exist like outside of the regular world like there are right. he actually tells the story of I guess he and Chris Rock were at like a um I don't know, some kind of function. It might have been like a, a wedding even of friends of like theirs. And at one point, um, Chris Rock came up to, uh, to, to Jerry Seinfeld and he just, he, he, he didn't say, he didn't say hi. He just put his, he just like slapped his hands on his chest and said, Oh, comedian. Like it, like it was like a, a breath of fresh air to not be yeah, talking to yeah. regular people. Yeah. And so what there seems to be there then is this idea that, um, being a comic is part of being part of a shared community in which you like since that elevates the joke above anything else. And so when there's nothing else that matters more than that, then these kinds of uh, perhaps uh, racist hierarchies and, and sexist hierarchies and, you know, heteronormative hierarchies that exist in everyday life, they maybe don't in the uh, community well, of comics. And yeah, so- I think it's true that you can tell um like the jokes that you tell in private are, are totally different than the jokes that you can tell in public. I think that's totally true, right? Because like, there's a, well, cause and I guess this is the point that I'm building toward is that because there's an equality there amongst the tellers. Right. So because right. everyone's a, a comic, it doesn't matter that Zach Galifianakis is white and Chris Rock is black because yeah, I don't comics. know about that. I don't you know, know if I yeah. agree with you, Ryan. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I think it is possible that, uh, don't you think it's possible that Rock is so used to white guys doing that? Uh, yeah. Like whatever. Yeah. Sure. Like, sure. That's true. You know. So I think that maybe, maybe you're right, but I think um, I would also I would just think that like if you're in a if you're in like you you know like when I'm talking to uh, you know like my spouse or my my kids like they they basically you know not basically they know what my views are. So if I sure. say like like. My son, uh, one of my sons, Dashiell, loves to tell, he's Jewish, he loves to tell anti-Semitic jokes to his friends. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just that he's Jewish, it's that they, it does bother them, actually. But, <laughs> but um, you know, like, we don't really reprimand him for doing it, because mm-hmm. we know, obviously, that he's not anti-Semitic. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that's part of the thing, too, is that if you're telling it within a, within a, a confined you know, I just think it's totally different what you say in public versus what you hmm. say in private. Like, like no one, no one would have, no one could stand to have their private, you know, uh, conversation policed in the way that our, our public conversation, I think even has to be. So hmm. that would be, yeah, I think that's pretty, I think it's pretty radically different. So maybe, yeah. I guess I would agree that maybe that community of comedians constitutes its own kind of you know, yeah. separate space. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, I see, I see that point. I think that's a, that's a very uh, worthwhile challenge to like, to, you know, and I'm, I, it's true. Like I'm working with like Zach Galifianakis said that it was okay because Chris Rock said it was okay, but maybe it wasn't. I mean, you're, maybe it wasn't. Maybe yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. Totally, I mean, I, yeah. Did, given the films Zach Galifianakis has been in, I don't know that I would give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt, but, uh, I mean, some are good, but yeah. then some are, some are, the TV know. series is very good. Baskets. I, I, it, redeem, uh, I it redeems that. a lot of the, yeah. the films for me. Yeah. Well, so anyway, I guess that, um, the, if we, and then this is, I suppose, heavily qualified now then. But if we take that seriously, like if there is this equality among comedians, then uh, the superiority theory of comedy falters there because it's, and, and, I, and I, yes, it's, it's idealistic and maybe it's comics thinking too much of the community of comics uh, that 
you that that kind of shared um that kind of shared community supersedes like anything else that's in in the real world but that doesn't yeah. but that doesn't exist but we you cannot apply that to as you're saying like public like everyday kinds right. of right of like context. i think i kind of think the you know the the i think it's a it's a sort of major advance that certain things get you know can't be articulated like certain jokes yeah. cease to be acceptable uh, and right. you know it's interesting because now we're seeing the way uh, people will say things that are offensive, and then they'll say, "I was just joking." Right? You know, I, yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of that. You know, like yeah. I think that it's, I think it's it's um, you know like certain things not being able to be said. Obviously, you can say them, right? Like it's, sure. there's no law against saying them, but right, the you fact won't get arrested. You, yeah, <laughs> right, you won't get arrested. But the fact that you can't say them. Sort of, and then still be held to be a credible, um, you know, subject. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's there's something pretty important about that. That's that step. Like you can't just, you know, like I, I, I mean, maybe I'm being too idealistic because I think if you asked a lot of women, they'd say this still happens all the time. But like mm-hmm. you can't just um, slap your female coworker on the butt and say yeah. she's under you and you know right in, right in office rank and then and say go get me a cup of coffee you know like that yeah. kind of behavior and sim- similarly like you can't say like certain jokes are not you know acceptable mm. uh you know like sexists like you know part of the problem is that it it i mean i i think the community question is interesting right and i think this gets to the politics of the joke pretty gets right to the heart of it like mm-hmm. you know like part of the way that it forms a community is by excluding. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, like I think, I think men have done this for a long time, like mm-hmm. tell jokes about women, mm-hmm. you know, my, my dad, who was a, you know, sort of normal sexist guy, but he was, you know, he was, he, was, he, <laughs> he, he basically treated women nicely, but he, he was very, uh, you know, he had, had pretty inscribed, well inscribed sexist ideas and, and we would, whenever we would go golfing, he would just—it was just a just an onslaught of of, uh, of sexist humor because, mm-hmm. you know, we'd be playing with a couple, always with other guys. I don't know why. That uh, he—I mean, I do know why. But, yeah. Uh, Women uh, not allowed at the club. I well, well I, we only played at public courses. We yeah. didn't have any okay, money. Right. Um, so women were allowed, but. Uh, uh, you know, he used to play with my mom, so it wasn't a total. Okay. But but he would you know it, because it was a great way for him like part of the way he bonded with me his son was to to tell you know sexist jokes while playing golf like two things that were in his mind exclusively you know exclusively male activities so mm-hmm. I think that that really I mean obviously in race it, it, it works the same the same way right like mm-hmm. you tell the racist joke and then you feel like I really belong. To, to uh, this to white a, community to some, or to yeah. white community, yeah. right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. because I know who doesn't belong, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the way in which community really gets gets formed. It mm-hmm. gets formed through this I, through this exclusion, and that's what the that's what a joke does. I would say almost better than anything. When mm-hmm. you, so that is, I mean, like even uh, like I, yeah, I guess there's there's so th- this is the. Um, the thing that I that I found. So we I'm not gonna we tried to record this yesterday and we had technical difficulties and it didn't work out. And I've been thinking about this since our conversation yesterday that th- it's very very hard to reckon philosophically with the um you know with with the racist sexist with the exclusionary joke even in my attempt which was based on like a, maybe you can do this in the community of comics yeah. you rightly point out that that might be a lie <laughs> like that right, might right, like right. it could just be that's founded on a a kind of an exclusion ex- right exactly. or, or or some kind of fundamental lie i mean i think most communities maybe community as such is founded on a lie and an yeah. exclusion right so yeah yeah so yeah but i i guess for me i, I I do want to say something about the the technical difficulty was my fault. I kept recording the same seventeen <laughs> seconds over, which was funny. It was I mean, so funny. It's it was so very funny. Yes, it was appropriate that our, that our <laughs> first podcast about comedy was ruined by a comic act. Um, and, and it was nicely kind of lack and excess put to, like it was excessive. This kind of seventeen seconds repeated. My spouse, by the way, Hillary said to me, um, "I think it was the computer telling you that you have about seventeen <laughs> seconds worth of." <laughs> something to say on comedy that, so that is was, so funny that was her 
She never tells jokes except at my expense. So that's that was nice. Well, they're like so okay. We cannot reckon with the superiority theory. It doesn't go away. Like it, it does not go away. It no, it does not. But um, yeah. no. But I do want to. I, I think I want to pull it back like to um, your where I think your theory. Um, I don't know if I want to use the word succeeds, but I think where it accounts for this maybe better than like the uh, Baju and, and Zupancic is that by not claiming that the comic has to be this liberatory thing and anything right. that is, you know, it's sort of like to make a, a wild uh, departure of an example. It's sort of like in, um, in, in d- data analytics of sports that like, Oh, we can't come up with a good number for uh, crunch or pressure time, like performance. Therefore, it doesn't exist. It doesn't like, exist. It just yeah, does. Yeah. It it, yeah, it doesn't yeah, give yeah. it. Yeah, you know. So, um, any anyway. Uh, so where what your theory does though is that like I think that this lack and excess it accounts for this, and you don't it, you do not put this like um, which doesn't mean that it's okay, but you don't put this like a uh, moral uh, qualification on comedy. Right. Right. I mean, I do think it's interesting because I do think comedy. Look, the title of the joke is, I mean, the title of the joke, title of the book is actually a joke because it's a, I don't think comedy can save us because I don't think there's any saving. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's a, it's a reference to this uh, interview that Martin Heidegger gave in the late sixties. And it was only published after his death with mm-hmm. uh, the German magazine, Der Spiegel. And he, the title of it, which quotes him in the article, but he, he says this, he says, only a God can save us. And mm. in, in my book, I, I talk about how Heidegger is maybe the only thinker in the entire tradition, the Western tradition that has no moments of comedy throughout his entire oeuvre. Mm. And, and I, I try to link this to the way in which he, th- I think for us, I mean, for Heidegger, we're inherently and only pathetic beings. So mm. it's interesting that, that he can only see us as victims. And uh, which I think one could make an interesting kind of uh, connection to his his like the reason why he found Nazism seductive. But um, mm, yeah, I, I don't sure. want to I don't want to go down that road. Maybe okay. we should do a whole thing on Heidegger. Yeah, Nazism, yeah, but, sure. Um, but but yeah, uh, I I do think that um, so I, I do think that that said I do think that comedy can be incredibly it can be a real site of emancipation. It can have it has a real emancipatory potential because to my mind this ability to see that your that lack and excess coincide is the is the ultimate political gesture, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, isn't I, I I'm tempted to say every oppressive act is the result of of the attempt to push lack onto the other mm-hmm. and let me be excessive, you know, while the other has all the lack. And I think that's that's a real for one thing, it's impossible. Mm. And I think it's the source of so much like uh, oppressive violence in the world. So I really think that comedy a, has this emancipatory oh, potential. Sorry, go. Ahead. No, 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 no. I'm sorry that I and <laughs> I interrupted on the the closing mm. sentence there. But what I wanted to say was I think that 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 is that exactly is was the basis and is the basis of of Trump's appeal. I think like you think about the things Absolutely. that he he says, the things that he said about Mexicans. I mean, like is like I'm trying to think right. of like the first group he offended on his uh, right. his campaign. And, and it was like they the, these are criminals. They're rapists. They come here. They do all these things. They like they take it's actually like it's not. So this is maybe be my, my challenge to to but but you obviously he's much smarter than I am. But like this what Trump says and this thing I'm about to say is comic, but definitely not funny, which is that, and this is the, uh, the whole narrative about, um, about Mexicans and, and illegal immigration is that these people come here and they take, uh, all the jobs and also they're incredibly lazy. So how is that possible? <laughs> right? Like, you, right, like yeah, how can right. you have those two things? I used to, right. I, I used to use that as an example when I, it, it, um, when I taught, um, writing and rhetoric that on like the first day I would say that, like in, in discourse, like you always want to see some sort of like in, in you want to look at like some inherent paradox or some sort of like a contradiction that kind of like drives things forward that like you, the, the, the people don't necessarily like uh, are, are always aware of. And then I would put that on the board and no, like, no, like that was when I had taught this like several years ago, like that's what still people said, but nobody literally said it. And, and Trump, like he absolutely, he, he did it. He, he put those two things together 
And rather than people thinking like, you know what, that's stupid. It's like, you know, we should listen to this guy. He's maybe got a, maybe got a point about that. And it's, um, anyway, so like that's, that is. As no, that's a great point, Ryan. Yeah. That's well, a great point. Yeah. In your, I mean, in your point, like this is this big, big push to throw all of this lack on a, a community that is, you know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't need that, that, that right. needs the well, complete no, opposite. The, well, yeah. right. I mean, it's interesting because it also posits that we were, we were enjoying excessively prior to this lack being introduced by immigrants, you know, which obviously yeah. wasn't true at no, all. Not true. Right. Like, yeah. you know, so it's a, it's a fascinating, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it, it both like, and this is, I think the co- very common, it both posits excess in the past that's mm. been destroyed by this introduction of lack. And then it promises excess in the future. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like written, like be excessive again, like make yeah. America great again. Right. Like it's, right. It's, sure. just, it's, 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 it's almost, it's, it's almost so obvious. It doesn't even need anyone to, to point it out. But I think, so I think there is really, I mean, I think, so just to say that, that I do think there's something really emancipatory about comedy mm-hmm. because it, it forces us this in, for a moment. I mean, I guess that's the, 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 for me, one of the main, there's two big problems with it, but one problem with it is it's, it's, it's always momentary. Mm. You know, because comedy by definition can't be sustained because it requires that moment of that when lack and excess, that, that conjunction takes us by surprise. And mm. so if it doesn't, once it becomes hackneyed, it's not funny anymore. So or, you can't or even, really, yeah, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, or even you need Shakespeare's jokes explained, right? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. In, in the yeah. way that you don't need the tragedy of Oedipus explained. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Right. I do think that, for instance, this is probably not true, but I, I, my feeling is that if Shakespeare didn't write tragedies, we wouldn't still perform his comedies. Like I think comedy does not really have a great, it just doesn't have any staying power because it, it's, it's fleeting. You know? I will, I will support what you're saying to say that like people don't do not gen- generally. And again, this is like arguing by way of a uh, common sense which is maybe a bad argument to begin with but i don't think generally people know shakespeare but generally speaking i don't think they know thomas middleton john webster they don't right. know ford um right they right. they maybe know um uh, Mar- uh marlow um uh, wait am i getting that right Right. Christopher Marlowe. Yeah, yeah Christopher Marlowe. Yeah, because of tragedy and and some, but you you don't know. But anyway, so like Middleton and and Ford and Webster, like these were they wrote in the uh, Jacobean period, like almost uh, exclusively like city comedies. Right. And and right. you have to be interested in Renaissance drama to have heard of them. I think. Right. To support your. Point. I mean, look, Shakespeare. I think Shakespeare. I mean, for like. If you laugh at Merchant of Venice, I mean, some things are funny in Merchant of Venice, but I don't think modern audiences. I mean, I saw yeah. Merchant of Venice once performed as a tragedy. So, it's you know, well, it is. I mean, but that's the tragedy of Shylock. So yeah, it's, exactly. uh, you know. So I do think there's a way in which that you know that Shakespeare nicely shows. I th- I mean, some of them obviously like. You know, I think Kenneth Branagh's version of Much Ado About Nothing's it's pretty hilarious. So. Yeah. You know, but I he kind of smuggles some modern stuff into it to yeah. me because then I saw this. I think it's the Joss Whedon one. Oh yeah, which, mm-hmm. which I thought was just unwatchable. Like I just <laughs> thought, like they've really captured the the uh, spirit of the 17th century that it's, it should stay in the 17th century. Like it was really, it was terrible. I well, thought. but even but, um, so, that was a modern update, and that goes to your point, which is that with comedy, the um, the the emancipatory potential is is locked to like the the momentary. So I interrupted. It's you momentary, that and then yeah. the other the other the other big problem I see, and this is what I think is the basis of racist, sexist, homophobic uh, comedy, is that it 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 can give us a sense of wholeness by through the act of excluding someone, but yeah. or it can even it can create a sense of wholeness even in the comic target, you know. And I think mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. That for me is the real danger of comedy like that if, if 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 everybody kind of has this dividing like for that do there's things that are comedy and not comedy for me it's the kind of divide within comedy mm. between a conservative comedy which wants to wants to create a, a sense of the wholeness of the both the comic spectator and the and and the and the comic object whereas i think a emancipatory comedy wants to show the divide within both the spectator and in the and in the object. So like, for, for instance, 
I think Chaplin does a great job of showing how even the per, the, the most marginalized figure, you know, the, the little tramp mm. is, is funny, right? Like mm-hmm. he makes fun of that figure in order to show that even that figure is divided. So I think mm. that's, to me, that's the key to any kind of, you know, liberatory or emancipatory comedy. Mm. That's interesting. To, to go back to my, the Chris Rock, Zach Galifianakis, Galifianakis example, is that um, for, <laughs> to believe that that's okay means that you, that the community of comedians is whole and therefore Chris Rock is no longer an African American in America. He's no longer black when he yeah. says it's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. probably that's, yeah. That's a pretty good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's probably that you know that that that's the that's the problem with that kind of mm. but you know I'm not I'm not saying it's time is wrong. Like maybe yeah. it's right. You yeah. know, I just don't think we can know. And mm. uh yeah. 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 But I do think that there's something one thing I like about uh that I really like about comedy is that it forces you to like, there's something always kind of, you're always sort of engaged with something traumatic. I think mm-hmm. if you're, which is funny because we, we think of comedy as an escape, right? Like mm-hmm. an escape, like from the, but I, I don't think it's, an, we think of it as an escape from trauma. I think if we think of an escape from the drudgery of everyday life. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. And what is, it's interesting. What is drudgery? Like what does everyday life do? It separates, doesn't everyday life just separate lack from excess as much as it can like it mm. like work is the time of lack and then you come you know you have yeah, the weekend yeah, yeah. where you get drunk mm-hmm. you yeah you know sure, go to sure. an orgy you go see a movie <laughs> yeah, right, right. for me like going to see a movie is for much more excessive than right to right but uh but so so and then comedy kind of you know is is is, is respite from that mm-hmm. that drudgery and but but i don't think it's respite from trauma like i think it's mm. what's nice is it forces us to really engage, like, you know, I love this. Jo- Do you know this joke about the priest, the nun, and the rabbi? I'm sure you know this joke. Right? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, so God is ending the world, and he he wants to know what to do with people, and he he com- communes a a priest, a nun, and a rabbi, and says, you know, what should I do with the world? And the nun goes, whatever you do, save the children. And mm-hmm. the rabbi thinks this is ridiculous. He goes, fuck the children. And the priest says, do you think they'd let us do that? <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, so, so my point would be, it's, it's funny. That's just an objectively funny joke, I think, but, <laughs> but, uh, it's funny and, and, but it's funny because it allows, um, the spectator, the spec in order to laugh, I think the spectator has to in some way identify with the priest as pedophile, which is mm. horrific, right? Mm. It's horrific. Mm-hmm. But you have, unless you do, then you're like, if, if all you do is just condemn that kind of thing, you can mm-hmm. see someone saying like, look, you can't make a joke about that. It's too horrible. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. And yeah. And so I think if you, if that's your attitude, then it's not, then it's not funny. Mm-hmm. So, and then you're not laughing and then you're not, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're not engaging that the trauma of that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, mm-hmm. I think I, I'm all, I, I believe every joke that has this kind of traumatic kernel to it yeah yeah traumatic kernel which makes it which i think that's the sort of the best part about that it's the best part of comedy Hmm. that no that's great i mean i think that you you think about things like uh like like gallows humor you know yeah yeah i do think good oh no i was gonna tell that um you know you must know this story about groucho marx who became friends with um t.s Eliot. do you know this no i do not know this oh man yeah he so uh, groucho in one of the records you can get it the like like a an album of interviews with groucho and he uh talks about how i don't know if it was like through agents or whatever but like he was told that t.s Eliot wanted to meet him and groucho was like oh my god like i this 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 great poet like so he he sat down to read like proof rock and wasteland or whatever and he yeah. met Eliot, and all he wanted to do was talk about marx brothers that's all he wanted to do <laughs> and so then Elliot, if I'm remembering this right, so Elliot died and Groucho was invited to the funeral and they're like, uh, in the wake and there was this thing where people were, everyone was going up to say things about, about Elliot, like afterwards. And, um, and someone said that, you know, Groucho should really go up there. And he was like, I don't have any kind of eulogy or anything prepared. So he just, I guess he went up to talk in front of everybody. And what he said, what he, so he told, he told a joke and the joke he told was, he said, he said, there's a man who's about to be hanged. And noose is around his neck, and he's asked by the executioners, 
as he's looking out across all the people, he says, do you have any last words? And the man who's about to be hanged, he looks around, he stops for a second and says, yeah, I don't think this thing is safe. <laughs> and that was it. And so, like, I actually think that that jo- so that joke is much funnier that he told that at, at T.S. Eliot's funeral. Uh, again, if I remember the story correctly. So, um, yeah, it's uh, but that's the but anyway, so like the the trauma. So actually the trauma in that joke moves, right? Like it moves right. from this practice of killing people to like, you know, this this person has died. This 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 friend of mine, you know, like, and, and so you, you, you can't, you know, you laugh and then you, you, it doesn't, um, I don't know. Does it allow you to apprehend the, the trauma because you're not approaching it directly? Like, yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that's right. I think that's right. I do think that there's, there is only gallows humor. Like I do think, I think it's true. I think that's true. Yeah. 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 Mm. You know, I, I, just a funny thing happened. My, uh, the acknowledgements and the, I, I have, I, I sort of, uh, sprinkled jokes throughout the but there's a joke too in the index mm-hmm. and there's a and there's a, a a joke in the all the acknowledgments are kind of jokes and so yeah. my my mother has a her her uh, her husband was reading the acknowledgments and he was just astonished because he, he so I have this one and he thought this is terrible I think I think that there should be a kind of revolt against your son and so <laughs> the, the, the here's what it says so okay. here's the here's the thing that really bothered him yeah I said I'm grateful to my film and English department colleagues at the University of Vermont that I name them who have encouraged me to work on this book rather than waste time teaching or meeting with students this has enabled me to finish it quickly and he thought he thought if his students ever read that they're just going to revolt they're never going to and I thought wow that's pretty that's pretty uh, that's pretty funny wow. I thought that was even better than my joke than your joke the, the, his reaction yeah his reaction yeah, yeah. <laughs> clearly he doesn't I know mean, your students yeah well but if I mean I don't know how many people would for one thing people that that believe time spent teaching is wasted time do not tend to articulate that no that's certainly true publicly for sure right no you would never say that it's too close to the truth right right, even as a joke you wouldn't say it even as a joke you wouldn't say it. yeah yeah no yeah so anyway so i thought it was i thought that was funny that his that, that that it was precisely the uh you know like for him it was like a uh, a sort of synecdoche for the for the <laughs> excessiveness of the of the college professor who mm, mm, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't who's like insulated in the Ivy Tower doesn't even want to teach yeah and, yeah you know, yeah uh, so it's, it's probably fit. part of some Oedipal struggle too <laughs> but that's uh, that's you know that's probably more than that's <laughs> neither here nor there or it's well, everywhere yeah, I don't know it's, yeah. too, <laughs> it's 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 going beyond the comic so. <laughs> that's true yeah. Yeah. oh. That's great. Uh, do we want to wrap up? This is an hour. Yeah, yeah. Let's All wrap right. up. And uh, so uh, we will. We were thinking about some future topics. So, we, and I, I think we're going to talk soon about the what, what Ryan and I both agree is the greatest comic film ever made, which hardly anyone has seen. So, which so I think we want to give it a little. <laughs> we want to give it a, a little, little attention. Boost. I think yeah. most people when they I think uh, what one AFI's list uh, uh, the the cross dressing one. What is that? Oh, um, uh, Tootsie. No, the other one. But Tootsie's up high on there, too, I think, too high. Wait, but what's the other one? The other, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, you're the right. Some, one. some like it hot. Yeah. Some like it hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's at the top. And then, you know, Dr. Strangelove is probably the alternate right. one that's either first or second. But I, we both are pretty convinced that To Be or Not To Be is the is the great filmic yeah. comic. It's a, it's a stunning film and, and yeah. well worth talking about in depth. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. By Ernst Lubitsch. So we will we will visit that topic soon, and we're going to visit the topic of sports, which is becoming even more, yeah. thankfully, politicized. Yes. So that's that's nice, and so we'll we'll talk about some sports things. And, and I just uh, want to put a put a thing here. I I find it, um, I'm quite I'm quite uh, ha- I'm not happy that the president is saying these things because it's the it means the the reality is awful, but it does show. I, I really I believe this. I think that protest matters the, the the site in which protest matters most is sports. I think that you you think several years ago and you think about um, uh, what's his name uh, losing the Los Angeles Clippers 
because yeah. of the racist statements that, that he made that he was and he should have lost the team for his racist actions of his entire life but that's yeah, a, yeah, that's a yeah. thing that we we could talk about um yeah. but there was the the threat of uh, Donald pro- Sterling I think Donald Sterling thank you yeah right so the uh the Clippers were going to, uh, they practice without logos on. They were going to, they were going to protest. Uh, they were, I remember, I think it was a playoff game that they were going to walk away from. There was going to yeah, be, they were tip, gonna walk away. they were going to walk away. And then, and he lost the, he lost the team like that. Yeah. That's a kind of direct action through protest that I, I think, uh, is not possible. Uh, in 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 general, like I think, which is not to say don't protest. It's it's that it it requires a lot more effort and a lot more time. But I think protest in sports, for some reason, I don't know. I maybe this is worth well, more about. people see it. I think that's one yeah. thing, and and I think people are really invested in it who who aren't necessarily who are who are often invested in sport in lieu of politics. Right, right. So, so it, I mean, most people that are that are really engaged in politics are are. You know, most that I know are, are pretty indifferent to sport, and that's why the, the people that I try to glom onto are interested in both. But it's not; yeah. they're not mm-hmm. that common. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it's not a common thing. And uh, and so I think that, and you know, like I mean, one of the great acts of the of the sixties and seventies, which is a time of incredible protests, was the mm-hmm. the you know John Carlos and uh, Tommy Smith the the um, the Black Power salute yeah, at the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was a yeah. like. That just had a it had it resounded throughout you know mm-hmm. American society. They they were I think they were stripped of their medals. They were mm-hmm. you know they were they made the cover of Time in a in a in a you know <laughs> in yeah. a critical way. And and sure. so it's it was you know it was a, it was just people they were thrown out of the Olympic Village. It was it was a disruptive thing. And yeah. I think it 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 shed some. Obviously, the situation hasn't much changed, right? But no, um, yeah, yeah. But it did shed some light on things. So. Mm. Certainly. I agree with you. Yeah. So yeah. we'll talk about sports. We'll talk about uh, maybe Martin Heidegger and <laughs> yeah, perhaps yeah, that's... time and some stuff like that. Okay. So uh, thank you very much for thank the you, uh, Ryan, and the colloquy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right.